So most of us have heard the famous quote, nothing is certain except for death and taxes. Sometimes that particular quote is attributed to Ben Franklin. I've also heard people say Mark Twain or Daniel Defoe, uh, but it's nonetheless a, a pretty common phrase we're all used to. And it's true. At the end of the day, you will die. And at the end of the day, there's probably some taxes to pay. And so I thought that might be a great topic to bring onto the podcast because there's so many questions about what happens when I die. Where do my assets go? What tax returns do I have to file? What taxes do I have to pay? Are there taxes my beneficiaries have to pay? Great questions. And so a couple of months ago, I met Shruti and Vivek. And they're a married couple. Uh, Shruti is a lawyer and Vivek is an accountant. And they both specialize and have great knowledge in the area of death and taxes. So I thought it might be kind of fun to bring them onto the podcast today and talk about this very topic. And to talk about it both from an accounting perspective as well as from a legal perspective. So a little bit about my special guest today. Uh, first, I'll start with Shruti. And Shruti practices in estate and trust law. And her practice encompasses all aspects of trust and estate work. So Shruti does both planning work. She will help you draft your will and prepare your estate plan. She also does trust planning and planning for incapacity. But she also helps on the other end of the spectrum. So once someone has passed away, Shruti also has a specialty in estate litigation when there is fights about an estate and also the administration of an estate. So Shruti does a lot of probate. So she'll be a great person to talk to us about that topic. Then if we move to Vivek, so Vivek is a Canadian CPA and he's also a senior tax associate with WBM Partners. He has spent the majority of his career in taxation, and he assists individuals and businesses with tax planning and optimization strategies. And his firm, WBM Partners, has offices in Calgary and also in Burlington, Ontario. And they provide accounting and tax advisory needs to both individuals and businesses. This topic is a really big topic to chew off. So we started today by just focusing on the basics. What types of tax returns need to be filed when you pass away and what types of tax have to be paid at that time? We're also going to talk a bit about this mysterious word probate. What is it? Are there costs associated with it? And when do you need it? And then we're also going to talk a bit about different jurisdictions and the idea that it's very rare these days for someone to be born in a certain province, die in that same province, and have all of their assets in the same province. So inevitably, as estate planners and as estate administrators, we end up having to work with professionals in other jurisdictions, even sometimes other provinces within the same country, to figure out how to get the assets where they need to go. So without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome, Shruti and uh, Vivek. I'm so excited to have you guys here today. We had met uh, some time ago on LinkedIn and just had such a great chat. And I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Amanda. It's um, it's a pleasure to be here on this podcast today. I must confess it's my first time being talking on a podcast. And I'm super excited to see how this goes. <laughs> well, I welcome both of you. And I had I had told you that usually I have my guests 
answer the same two questions uh, when we start the podcast. So I'm going to ask you guys those questions as well, and we'll kind of go one at a time. So Shruti, you're excited. Let's start with you. Um, the, the first question is, what is the last podcast you listened to? It's mostly a stage-related stuff that I follow. Um, there are a bunch of them going around town. So whenever I have something going on, I just look for the nearest podcast and see, okay, what's going to help me find an answer today? And do you have any favorites? Because I sometimes like to put them in the show notes if there's any favorites. No, not particularly. But um, I like to keep my eyes and ears open for, especially my ears open for a bunch of cross-border related podcasts, because I do come across a lot of those issues in my daily work life. Okay. So I try to keep my focus onto the estates and tax related issues. Yours is a favorite. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I always feel like people think I'm paying my guests to say that and I am not. <laughs> no, you're not. Absolutely not. So, uh, so Vivek, what's, what would be your last podcast you would have listened to? Uh, I actually listen to a bunch of podcasts and um, the last podcast, well, the pod, one of the podcasts which I listen to a lot is uh, from the Harvard Business Review. It's called IdeaCast oh. and it's, um, it's pretty uh, interesting. They just talk about uh, just very varied topics and uh, you can just browse through their history and, and see if there's any, any, um, item which uh, you find interesting um i also listen to a to a number of sports pod, uh, podcasts so ah. uh, which is not uh which is not business related but entertainment i guess uh, i am a big basketball fan so uh ah. i so i do listen to uh, i actually follow a, a couple of players i i listen to uh uh, there's uh, there's actually this podcast called the Steam Room with Charles Barkley and uh, um, and uh, it's it's very um, uh, very interesting Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson from TNT so they uh, they do a show on TNT um, every week on um, and they also do this podcast and it's really interesting they have guests from uh, basketball players and other things so. That's a good one because I know my husband listens to the Bill Simmons, the Ringer podcast um, for sort of some of yes, the NBA. Yes, that news. one too. I, that's yeah. another one. Uh, <laughs> I, there's a bunch. There's a real, bunch of really good podcasts to follow on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to pass on the steam room because I don't think he knew about that one. And uh, so then I guess this is a follow-up question. What's your favorite basketball team? Oh, I'm a Raptors fan. Yeah, I follow, followed them. Uh, I've been following them since '95, uh, like, since they came in, so when when they had the purple uh, dinosaur uh, uh, logo and everything. So I've been I've been a first dayer on the Raptors. So uh, you you bled been through all the lean times. Red. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been through the lean times. I've uh, so so I'm not a bandwagon uh, fan. That's for sure. Well, I, I knew I liked you for a reason, and I, I did yeah. not know you were a basketball fan. That's, that's great. Anyway, I digress. Uh, that, was, that was good to know about you. Um, so the second question is, what is the emoji you use most often when texting? So Shruti, what about you? It's mostly a thumbs up because oh. the way I text, I'm mostly putting in quick responses because I have my eyes and ears in 20 different directions. So the first thing I see, okay, do I agree with this? Okay. Thumbs up. 
do I like what you're saying? Thumbs up. So I think most people I text with would say that about me, but oftentimes I'm also known to send across heart emojis for as a reaction to something that's really profound and I'm really floored by something that was said. There you go. There you go. Well, the thumbs up is a new one. I haven't gotten that one yet from anybody. I like that one. So what well, about I message thing? It, it is, isn't it? It's it's the natural it one that pops up. Exactly. So Vic, what about you? What are, are you a thumbs I, up guy? I used to, yeah, I used the thumbs up as well, but I also use the fist bump a lot. The, oh, the fist bump. So, so that's, uh, that's kind of one... Uh, especially in these COVID times when you can't you can't actually see a lot of people, it's just like, hey, just give you a little virtual a fist, fist bump. bump. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, in person you can only do the elbow bump. You can't do that's even right. do a yeah. fist bump anymore. <laughs> you, you can't even do the fist bump anymore. So that's true. At least virtually you can do it. You can still do it. So yeah. Well, and I I guess um, what I find really awesome about the two of you is that you're married. Like, I mean, we're recording this right now and you're both in the same house in different rooms and and you have this this amazing expertise under one roof. So we have accounting expertise. We have legal expertise all in one marriage. I I mean, it's just it's it's really cool when I met you guys and and learned that about you. And and that's why I wanted to have you both on today, because I. I'm huge into collaborative practice and I'm I'm huge into the idea of of taking different disciplines and different professionals and working together and using our expertise for a common goal for the client and I mean, I guess in, in life, you're in a marriage, so that's your own little form of partnership. But I love meeting other lawyers who are practicing in the industry and other accountants who have tax expertise. Um, so I'm excited for our chat today on death and taxes. Isn't it weird that we're excited to talk about this? <laughs> that is that is something that really, you know, keeps me going because um, not to toot my own horn, but some of my clients I, I have, they've said that I make really good bad jokes about death and morbid stuff. So, so yeah, that's right from the a, bad lawyer jokes. She does have a morbid sense of humor, which is, you, you which is good in this profession. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's it's one of those things where it's a very difficult topic to discuss, either before death or after death. And people come very anxious and very like buttoned up. And it's not that there's anything funny about this. And and I know that you guys are the same way I am. It's not funny. We've all experienced loss. It's horrific. But sometimes it's important just to to share light stories about the person and to really engage in that forward future more positive type of planning and and often that's not the way that people approach these sorts of issues. So we thought today we would tackle some of the biggest questions that I think the three of us have sort of seen in our various professions on the issue of death and taxes and in particular we were going to tackle three things and I I I mean I always have a hard time staying on task. I'm going to try really hard because these are three exciting topics. So the first topic is going to talk about, well, what happens from a tax perspective in Canada when someone dies? And as part of that, you know, what are the filing obligations? What tax returns do you have to file and what does that look like? The second issue is what is probate? Because we all hear the word probate and I've had clients say so many times, well, what is probate? Like, why do you guys keep talking about this? Why do I have to be worried about it? Um, and the third issue is, well, in this day and age, there's very rare for us to see a client 
who has been born in one province, died in the same province, all of their assets are in that province, and all of their beneficiaries are in that province. It just doesn't happen anymore. And so we have a lot of cross-jurisdictional issues, both um, on a provincial basis in Canada and then we're also seeing an increasing amount of international work. And Shruti, you earlier mentioned this concept of cross-border work, that connection between Canada and the U.S. It's so rare to not have a client now who has some connections, at least to the U.S., and if not to the U.S., to some other country. And so when that happens, and either you're planning for, for death or, or there's been a passing and that situation has happened, it's helpful to give some tips and tricks and, and basic information on, on what that means from a planning and administrative perspective. So those are the three big things that we're going to cover today. And um, I think we're going to we're going to make the accountant answer the first question. Isn't that what we decided, Shruti? Exactly. <laughs> that the two lawyers are ganging up on the accountant and we're going to make him answer this. So I, I would like to move headlong into issue one, um, which is sort of what are the tax implications on death in Canada? And what are some of the tax returns and things that need to be filed? So maybe starting first with what is the tax implication on death? Sure. Um, so... Uh, Canada does not have a death tax per se. Um, uh, some other jurisdictions like the U.S. do. Um, but you are uh, there are some certain provisions in the Act where um, it's, it's, it's called a deemed disposition. So basically it's the Act saying you died, it's as if you actually sold all your whatever, whatever capital items you have on death uh, it's as if you sold them to pretend sale in a sense, but then it has tax implications because you're going to be paying tax at the fair market value of those assets at the date of death. So, uh, so be, uh, what happens is um, you then have the, once you pay the tax owing on these capital items, they can then be transferred to your beneficiaries uh, through a will, always have a will. Shruti will let you. We'll <laughs> talk about that, but uh, definitely have a will uh, so that uh, there's an easy transition for your assets uh, on on, on your passing. Um, and the beneficiaries will then get a step up. That is, uh, so they would get the their tax cost for these assets would be the fair market value uh, on the date of death. So I, I think that's a great a great summary, and I'm thinking if we just kind of back up and break down some of those concepts. I I have sometimes referred to this deemed disposition concept as like the biggest yard sale of your life because it's sort of like the government has forced you into this fake sale of all your stuff um, immediately right. before you die, and and that's this concept that you're talking about. And and right. it's not that you've actually sold anything; it's just that on paper you've sold everything. And so we have to figure out what you originally paid for stuff, uh, which is this right. concept of a, of a cost base that, that you're talking about. And then we have to figure out, well, what's the stuff worth now? Like what's the current fair market value? And Correct. for properties where there's a difference um, between those two numbers, there's a tax to pay on the difference um, unless we can fit into certain exceptions. But the plus side is that the person getting your stuff gets the benefit of the higher number um, or the right. lower number if there's a loss, but they get the benefit of the good number. So the tax is paid by you, the deceased person, not by the person receiving the asset. Correct. Okay. 
And, um, and maybe if you can provide some commentary about spouses and some of the exceptions that apply when you're giving stuff to a spouse. That's, uh, that's a really good point. So uh, there is a rollover uh, in the act. Uh, so what happens is uh, um, a married couple, um, the first spouse to die can roll. So all their uh, capital assets would roll over at their, ta- at the, uh, at their tax costs to the spouse. So there would be no uh, there would be no capital gains or no, no tax to pay at that point. Uh, the tax uh, the taxable event would be when the second spouse were, would pass. At that point, there's a deemed disposition of of all of uh, uh, all of those assets um, at their firm, fair market value on the date of the death of the second spouse. So we kind of delay that yard sale until the second spouse Correct. passes away. And I mean, I, I always use that, that term rollover. And I used to teach at the college and I would do like, you guys can see me, the, the people listening can't see me, but I used to do this like thing with my hands where I was like, we're going to roll things over. I used to do a little dance at the front of the class, yeah. which helped the students remember this concept of rollover. But I mean, the idea of a rollover is just a, a transfer that's not attracting tax at that time. That's the big picture idea. It's like you're Correct. taking your stuff from one spouse, you're rolling it to another spouse, and we just did that without triggering anything and that's what's Correct. so cool about transferring stuff to spouses yeah so in a way it's just uh um you, you can kind of think of it as you're still um it's just taking it from one one pocket and giving putting it in the other pocket just until and then um and then eventually you got to give it to somebody else <laughs> and and that's when and that's when the tax is kind of triggered that's a really great analogy, kind of from one pocket to another. And so um, when when someone passes away, what are some of the different tax returns that have to be prepared? So uh, you have to file um, a terminal return. So a terminal return is the final tax return for the uh, for that taxpayer. And that is where that is your uh, that's the your final, I guess, uh, gift to the, to the government of Canada at that, at that point, uh, they can't come after you, hopefully after that. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so, uh, and it's the when, when that, when that return is due depends on, on the date of death. So, um, if you, uh, die, um, I think uh, up to up to August, October thirty first, you you have up till April thirtieth of the next year to file that return. Uh, from November first to December thirty first, if you um, if if you pass during that period, you have six months. Um, that was a great um, explanation of the timing because I think one of the big things that people panic about once there's a death is, oh my goodness, when do I have to get my stuff ready to give to the accountant to get the tax return filed? And so, I mean, at the end of the day, if the person dies somewhere between January 1 and the end of the calendar year, 
there's arguably a tax that needs to get paid for that portion of the person's existence when they were still alive. And so you got to gather that stuff up. Um, but what's neat, as you've pointed out, is that you usually have at least until April 30th, just like a regular return. And you may even have a little bit more time depending on the date of the death. So that's our first return, our terminal return. And then is there any other returns that have to be filed? Uh, it depends on um, if we're going to have, if we're going to be setting up an estate. So if the, um, if the beneficiaries, uh, if, if the trustee determines that they can, uh, they can uh, transfer all the assets to the beneficiaries within a year, uh, we would have something called a graduated rate estate. Um, so for 36 months, you, you, up to 36 months, you can, uh, you can have this, um, this special type of estate, uh, which will hold the assets of the, of the deceased person in trust uh, for distribution to their beneficiaries. In your will, uh, somebody would be appointed as a trustee uh, or an executor for the, for, for the deceased person who would make sure that their wishes are carried out. Um, so it, it kind of it gives you time. What, if a trust is created, it is a separate le- legal entity as well, and is, it's a taxable entity. So you would need to file a trust return uh, 90 days after the year end of that trust. So the idea is if this is an estate that we can get rid of things very quickly. It's very simple. We can yeah. give all the assets to the beneficiaries. We can get it all kind of done in the year. Then we don't need to go to this more complicated step. But if there's a lot going on and if there's some advantages to being able to hold on to the stuff for a little while, um, we can create this concept of a trust. Um, and a trust, I always think of a trust like the dry cleaner, but I guess it's slightly more complicated than that. But I take my, you know, I take stuff for, let's say my husband to the dry cleaner, they hold on to it, they clean it, and then they give it back to my husband, that type of idea. So you're, you're kind of letting your executors hold on to stuff for you, um, for the benefit of your beneficiaries for a period of time. And there are some some good tax rates associated with that in certain circumstances. So we may wish to do that in some cases. And if you do that, um, as you've pointed out, now there's another tax return and there's another filing deadline um, that because now you've kept the stuff. So we have to track this stuff and deal with the stuff. So we've got a terminal right. return um, from the date of January 1st until the date of death. And then we've got this potential for a trust return if we're not getting rid of all the stuff right away. Is there any other things that people might need to keep in mind? Once all the filings are complete, uh, it's always a good idea to get a, a, a clearance certificate from from the CRA, and this is uh, this is just basically a check uh, from CRA saying, "Yeah, uh, we have checked our side from our end. That there's there's no other issues, and it's just a it's just good peace of mind uh, for for you on on your end as well, just to make sure that." Uh, uh, everything has been wound up properly and uh, and uh, you can now uh, you can now move on. That's an excellent point because as an executor of an estate, you're personally yeah. liable um, for for all of these things. And so if the tax returns haven't been filed properly in past years or if you're missing something and you then take all the stuff and give it to the beneficiaries, um, you're going to be getting a call from CRA and you're going to have to come up with it yourself or gather it back from the beneficiaries. So to get this clearance certificate is almost like a big thumbs up from the government <laughs> saying, you Absolutely. know, we're good to go. You can now disperse 
disperse the assets and it's that safety for the executor. So great point. Yeah, you definitely don't want to, uh, you, you don't want to be out of pocket um, uh, on this well, for sure, especially when it, it's, it's a really big responsibility being the executor of the state. It's not something to be taken lightly. I, I agree with you. And so if somebody is an executor of an estate and they're now trying to gather up stuff to bring to the accountant, what types of things should they be gathering to help you out uh, when you're trying to file these returns? Uh, ideally, uh, we would want whatever tax slips they can get there. Um, they, they can get they have access to. So T4s, if applicable, T5s, T3s, if they if they they have any investments in other trusts, um, any um, any donations that they might have made. Also, any medical expenses, um, mm. you can actually, um, there, there's some uh, additional medical expenses that, that can be claimed and offset against prior years as well. So these are items which uh, which definitely you should, um, you, know, you should just keep an eye on or try to keep track of uh, and, and talk to your accountant uh, when the time comes. That's that's a great list. And, you know, it's actually a good segue into our next issue because we're going to move to talk about probate next. And so while you're gathering stuff for your accountant for tax returns, you're probably going to need to gather some other stuff for your lawyer for the probate application. So, Shruti, maybe I'll turn it over to you to talk just generally about first, what is probate? So, Amanda, probate is basically a procedure where an executor or an estate trustee, as I call them, would ask the court to either give them the authority to act as the representative of the estate, or if there is a will, for example, the court would confirm the authority of that person as the executor, or in situations where there isn't a will, approve somebody's application and then appoint them as the executor to wind up the estates and make distributions from the estate to the beneficiaries. Okay. And so with probate, is probate governed provincially or if you're a Canadian citizen, probate's the same across the country? So probate is a provincial issue and the provincial courts would have jurisdiction over estate-related matters. What comes back to you from the court is called a certificate of appointment of a state trustee with or without a will. And that is what commonly people understand as probate. So I've, I've heard probate be described too as like the gold seal of approval from the court. It kind of says, hey, you're the executor. We, we approve you as operating under that rule. Here's the debts. Here's the assets. Go forth. Pay the debts. Distribute stuff to beneficiaries. And as you said, there's usually that little one pager that comes back from the court with an official seal, hey? Exactly. That is the literally the gold seal of approval yeah. from the court. <laughs> and and I find like that's such an important document to hang on to. And sometimes people don't quite realize the the importance of that document. Um, that along with the formal death certificate from the provincial government are very key documents that are often needed as we go through the process of distributing assets and paying debts. That's right. And more often than not, probate should be obtained. In almost all cases, probate is required, primarily because third parties relying on your authority as the executor will need some assurance or or comfort from a court. 
saying that you are, in fact, the approved executor of the estate. So they can rely on decisions made by you and cover themselves from risk. And and on a province-by-province basis, the rules regarding probate, of course, are different. So uh, you're, of course, familiar, very familiar with the Ontario rules. I'm very familiar with the Saskatchewan rules. And so I find in Saskatchewan, we can usually avoid probate on the first to die because we have so many rules that allow us to leapfrog over probate if things are jointly held. But your your point is very well taken that sometimes even even if it, everything is sort of jointly held or most things are jointly held and you can otherwise squeeze your way out of it, you may end up needing to show proof at the bank uh, or exactly. uh, with some debtor um, out there that you have the authority and the only way to get that is through the court system. Exactly. And what I also tell clients is don't just be looking to avoid probate because you think the estate is small or the beneficiaries can all agree amongst themselves and say, okay, we don't need probate. Let's just just divvy it up as we see fit or how we interpret the will. Or sometimes there may just be the one beneficiary and you may think it's not required or the only assets are sitting in a bank account or investments that may pass by beneficiary designation. I still advise clients that you should look into the requirement for probate regardless of your own views about how relevant or not it is. Well, and and I'm not sure what the rules are in Ontario, but I know in Saskatchewan, we have like a a limitation period. So if somebody is going to complain um, about the will or about the capacity of the person that made the will or say they should be getting something, there's a period of time in which, of course, they're allowed to make that accusation. But the period of time starts running from when you get the grant of probate. And so if you never get probate, arguably the limitation period never starts running. And so you don't give yourself that protection. Is it something similar in Ontario? It is similar. Um, Usually limitations tend to run from the date of probate. However, if you are looking at a situation where the executor has just not taken any steps or applied for probate, then you would arguably look to the date of death. Now, you bring up an interesting point because will challenges when people contest the validity of a will, the limitation period would typically run from the date of death, regardless of whether or not probate has been acquired. Okay. Okay. So very interesting. So I think the moral of that story is you should be consulting with a legal professional in whatever province that the death occurred as a starting point to figure out do you need probate and do you need probate in that province, which we'll get to in kind of our next issue. Exactly. So let's talk about fees because I I feel like at least in Saskatchewan, there's this, somebody is running around telling people that you shouldn't you shouldn't probate because it's so expensive. Um, And so there's all this planning that happens to try to avoid a probate fee. Can you talk a bit about what probate fees are and and give some information on sort of the scope of those fees? Sure. So like we discussed, probate is a provincial cost. These are taxes that are paid on the assets, net of liabilities, some assets, net of liabilities owned by a deceased person at the date of death. The rules in Ontario recently changed in 2020. So for the first $50,000 of declared assets, there is no estate administration tax, which is what people call probate. But beyond that, probate fee is charged at 1.5%. So even for what we might think is a modest estate of, say, a house and 
a bunch of bank accounts, a couple of cars and a few investments kicking around, it can add up pretty quickly. Yeah, the people are trying to avoid that because in Saskatchewan, I think our our fee would work out to be much less. It's $7 on every $1,000 of assets. So I think our number would end up being quite a bit smaller than what, what you're indicating. Fair enough. And there is a lot of planning that goes around avoiding or deferring probate costs to the extent possible. And the most common route people go is jointly owned assets, which is the second to die, or putting away assets, investments, cash in registered accounts where you can get a tax-free rollover to the surviving spouse or another qualified beneficiary. Vivek, you can talk about those things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to let him talk again. He's been so patient. Uh, yeah, no, so so like she said, uh, a lot of a uh, lot of assets you can do um, the beneficiary designation, and and that does bypass probate. Well, hi there. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you're enjoying this episode. I wanted to take a few minutes to explain who I am and why I started this podcast. So I am a tax lawyer. I am based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I fell into the practice of tax law despite having a lifelong hatred of spreadsheets, math, and numbers in general. I feel pretty lucky because my day job allows me to have conversations with some amazing people who are very knowledgeable in their areas of practice. I thought it might be fun to share some of these conversations with you. I know the tax can be complex, but there are some basic foundational principles and key information that you deserve to understand and to know. I hope that when you finish listening to each episode, you feel like you have learned at least one thing that will be helpful to you in your day-to-day life, and maybe we will have even made you laugh. If you're interested in learning more about The Tax Chick, I also have a weekly blog called The Tax Chick Blog. And if you're on Instagram, please follow me with the handle at tax.chick. Enough about me. Back to the episode. On this, on this topic of, of probate, so we talked about the documents that have to be kind of gathered and, and put together to bring to the accountant. What are some of the things that you as a lawyer, Shruthi, would need from the client when they come in to get probate started? Right. So the documents I would ask for a client to bring in for probate purposes would ideally be the original will if they know where it is or at least the contact information of another lawyer who may have prepared the will if they know who that is. I would need an original death certificate. Ahead of time, I send clients a questionnaire asking for the clients to dig up as much information about the deceased person as they can. They may know a little bit about the bank accounts or the details of the house. They might have looked at property tax bills to give me a fair market value estimate or, um, say, mortgage account statements, if there's any liabilities against the house, for example, any other real estate they might have, cottage properties, farmland, um, timeshares in Florida, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) But no, jokes apart, for Ontario's probate purposes, real estate outside Ontario will not count. So for probate purposes, real estate in Ontario is what I would be looking for. 
information about bank accounts, investments, any insurance proceeds, um, details or shares in private corporations, if any, and any other assets such as personal items, valuables that could add up to be items personally owned by the deceased and not um, owned jointly with somebody else or not with beneficiaries designated to them. Right. So if we've got someone with like an art collection or um, some jewelry that's worth something, or I, I have a client recently who's got a guitar collection, an antique guitar collection, those sorts of wow. things sometimes people forget. Uh, but you have to start <laughs> listing those things as well and figuring out a value for them. Exactly. If you're dealing at uh, looking at items of considerable value like jewelry or art or collectible antiques, then you might want to have them appraised either on the open market or on the secondary resale market. There is um, a wide range of appraisers available for these kind of items, and some of them could be quite valuable and unfortunately costly for probate. Exactly. Well, and, and I know when I've talked to clients about this on the front end, like while they're still alive and they're sitting in front of me and we're doing the planning, I'll often have them start to put together, I call it a death folder. I usually make yes. them make a black folder just to make it, you know, super in, in line with the idea. But just to start putting stuff in there about, you know, where do you bank? How many bank accounts do you have? Who's the investment advisor you use? It's almost like that that little uh, trail of information for your executor because as you're now telling us on the back end, you're looking at the executor and going, here, gather all this stuff for us. And the executor may not even know where to start. Um, so if you can give a little bit of like breadcrumbs to your executor to get them started, that's so helpful. Well, and this is maybe a good segue into kind of our last topic because you made a, a comment there about how, well, in Ontario for probate, you care about Ontario real estate, which kind of leads us into this concept of multiple jurisdictions and how we've got people owning stuff all over um, and moving around and and kind of what that creates from both a legal perspective and also from a tax filing perspective um, on death. So maybe I'll start first with the legal perspective and then we'll kind of circle around to how this might impact the tax filing. So Shruti, what would you do if somebody came into you and they've got some Ontario stuff but they have some other stuff. How would you approach that? My intake question I would typically ask the executor or the family members, how much do you know about this deceased person, what their assets were? I'm sure in this day and age, pretty much everyone would have a connection to some foreign jurisdiction outside. What are the chances they may own a piece of real estate abroad? Surprisingly, many people would know the answer to that because people are more tuned to their parents' assets for some mm -hmm. reason. Mm -hmm. And once we have that information, we would then look to find if there is a will related to that foreign jurisdiction. Because as we know, um, law related to real estate would be the law of the land where the property is situated. In in legalese, we call it like situs, Amanda, as you know. But oh, that just took me back to first year law school. <laughs> I was just dealing with this exact situation a few hours ago, so it kind of stuck in my head. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so if we are looking at real estate in a foreign jurisdiction, the local laws would apply. There might be local succession laws, local property laws, 
regarding the transfer. And I deal with a lot of clients from the Indian diaspora. There's a huge population in the greater Toronto area from India. Mm. And I do have quite a number of interactions with people dealing with real estate issues in India. So my first point line of questioning would be, okay, did you folks get a will prepared and or registered with a local registry in India? Ah, you may have to contact professionals in other jurisdictions to kind of work together to get the assets moving. Yes. So depending on what we find, if there are real property assets in a foreign jurisdiction, the first action item would be find a local lawyer familiar with the real estate and succession laws Mm -hmm. to help us either probate that asset in that jurisdiction or have probate from an Ontario court approved in the foreign jurisdiction. Right. And a similar thing could happen even within Canada. If you have assets, let's say in Saskatchewan, but they're doing their main probate application with you in Ontario, what would you do in that case? So within Canada, or if you're dealing with assets in another jurisdiction within the Commonwealth, Mm -hmm. the procedure is called a grant, grant of resealing probate. Versus if you're dealing with assets situated in the U.S. and you have to have either probate from Ontario approved there or probate from a U.S. jurisdiction approved in Ontario, it's called a grant of ancillary probate. Ah, I always used to think of probate like an envelope and resealing was like you sealed it and then you had to like open it up and now you lick it again and you put it back down. <laughs> Versus your with a right fancy hand. gold sticker. With the fancy gold sticker, exactly. And and so so it is important to be able to identify those assets from different places. And and you're right. I think a lot of people do have assets elsewhere. And more people are now aware of it. I think kids are more aware of it. Family members are more aware of it. And it's great if you can be aware of it before they pass away and do a little bit of pre-planning and find out what's going to happen. But if you haven't, well, that's okay. We can figure it out post-mortem as well, after death as well. But it might require some teamwork (laughs) with some other professionals. Exactly. So we always need to identify the right professionals in a foreign jurisdiction to help you either probate a foreign jurisdiction will or try and locate one if you don't know if there is one or just have grant of probate from Ontario approved or reinstated in the foreign jurisdiction. Okay. And so then um, Vivek, from a, a tax perspective, so you've been talking so far about, you know, from a Canadian perspective, what are you worried about in terms of gathering of information for tax returns? What would be the process if, if you find out that there's foreign assets? We just have to be, uh, try and gather uh, the information as much as possible. So uh, your deemed disposition is for all your assets, even your foreign assets. So uh, you would be responsible for the tax um, uh, on your Canadian, on your final tax return. So you might need to, um, it depends on the jurisdiction where the, uh, the foreign assets are, if there's any foreign taxes which need to be paid, you would need to consult um, advisors in those jurisdictions. If any foreign taxes have been paid, you can claim a foreign tax credit on your Canadian tax return. So um, at least, so and, and Canada has a number of tax treaties with uh, 
with various countries. And at least that eases the burden and there is no double taxation. In a sense, you're not paying tax on the same amount twice. Yes, it is. Um, like Shruti said, uh, the big the big thing or the, uh, would be just gathering the information um, and identifying which jurisdictions you would need to uh, perhaps consult an expert uh, in that uh, in in that kind of particular country. When when you are dealing with multi jurisdictional uh, estates, it is very complicated, especially when you have some assets in these jurisdictions. You should you should have planning in place. Um, it, it it really does ease ease the process. Well, and I feel like that's our takeaway message here is that we can help you if you haven't gotten the planning, even if you've passed away, we can still deal with it. But it's so yes. much better for everybody, including your executors and your family, if you can start looking into some of this stuff while you're still alive. Um, because then exactly. you can help gather this information, you can find your professionals, and it places so much less of a burden on the people that you've left behind. That seems to be our takeaway. I think overall, the cost to administer that estate uh, would be a lot less compared to an unplanned estate where um you honestly, you don't want these worms coming out um, later on, and and you're you're leaving someone else to clean up uh, clean up a mess, and it's uh, that's that's not nice. I I agree, I agree. So find <laughs> your your local neighborhood estate planning lawyer. That's right, and and, and talk to your accounting professional, um, and kind of get some of this in place now. Um, and, and so I hope that that message comes through here for the listeners because it's just so important. We unfortunately see all the bad stuff that happens on the back end when that doesn't happen. Um, and so we're much more alive to it. And I feel like until you've been in that situation, you don't always quite realize how bad it can truly be. So the more planning you can do, the better. Well, I really enjoyed chatting with the two of you today. This was this was really great. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us, Amanda. It's been our pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Well, that is all we have time for today, folks. I hope we gave you some food for thought or at least made you smile. Please see the show notes for any resource material that we referenced throughout the episode and to find out more about today's guest. If you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at thetaxchickpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and click subscribe to be notified when new episodes are posted. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice. 